Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 533. Um, we're doing this on September the 25th. 2020. Yes, we're we're getting close to the last quarter of this year. Thank God. What a terrible bloody year for all of us. Um, to say that we're looking forward to the back of this bloody year would be an understatement. Um, we've got some great stories. Um, you can join us on Facebook live um, and be part of the conversation. I've got a powerful panel I've got Spencer Fulham, and he's on remote. He's helping a friend. Um, Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. All right, and I've got Stephen. Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, Stephen Satter from zipfish.io. And I've got Sally. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. I'm Sally, the WP fangirl. And I've got Vito with us. Yeah, I'm Vito from WP Feedback. That's great. And before we go into the main stories of the week, um, I just want to talk about one of our major sponsors, which is Kinster Hosting. With Kinster Hosting, um, they use Google Cloud as their backbone. Um, they are a quality, speed-orientated WordPress hosting company um, that is totally credible. Um, fundamentally, they've built out a fantastic business and a fantastic reputation in the WordPress community. Now, if you're looking for a rock-solid hosting provider that really understands WordPress, go over to Kinsta for yourself or for your clients, especially if you've got a WooCommerce or learning management system. You need better hosting with those type of plug-in systems. So go over to Kinsta, buy one of their products for yourself or for one of your clients, and especially tell them that you heard about their service on the WP Tonic Show. So straight into story, uh, Matt Marahek and James Stack Community square off, making long-term bets on the predominant architecture of the web. What did you think of this one, Spencer? I think what's interesting is that Matt speaks, first of all, uh, so apparently he's not currently ensconced in a concrete bunker, as the rumors may have it. Um, it'd be interesting if he spoke more often, quite frankly. By the way, I want to just say how nice it was to see, even for a brief appearance last week, Morton pop yes. up out of the, uh, uh, the, the the place he's been at, which seems like he's doing very well and happy outside the workplace space. But my uh, always opinionated spin on this is that what I find interesting is that this is a conversation of people with bicycles arguing with people who drive cars about which is the best transportation, where they're completely different things. WordPress is not supposed to be, at least for the last four generations of it, a simple like two-second HTML editor, nor is it supposed to be dynamic content. And even though there's conversations that it may end up being headless or footless or something else, um, the little comments that say things like, oh, Back in the 90s, I could put up an HTML page on any editor in five minutes and say, hello, world. Well, that's great. Except what I keep suggesting is WordPress is now a business stack. We talked about it last week about like 
uh, Morton was arguing, and in, I think true, that kids today are going to use one of their iPhone apps to share stuff really quickly, and then it disappears versus setting up a blog and all the things that are required of it to share. Similarly, if your whole shtick is to do a one-page website, there's about 100 apps on the web now that'll let you immediately do just that without even having to use all this fancy stuff in the Jamstack. But most people aren't doing that. They're running a business with a membership site and e-commerce or sales. And for that, you need a LAMP stack or some comparable you know, proxy of that that's your own homebrew, which would be far more complex. So this, this sort of like uh, argument is mm. like, like old people yelling at each other, but not actually hearing uh, what they're talking about. Talking about their surgery, you know. Um, v, uh, Vito, what did you think? I'm just making him go unmootsy. Uh, Vito, what do you think? Sorry, what do you think of this? Um, first of all, it was uh, kind of interesting to see the growth of this uh, of this technology because I wasn't um, uh, considering it uh, like that. But I do agree with Spencer that uh, the purpose is there. What I do see happening in the future, and I think that uh, Miriam was mentioning it, Miriam from uh, uh, Strathic was mentioning this in the article, uh, that they can just work together. And then everyone wins. You know, you get uh, some of the flexibility of that and some of the flexibility of that join forces. Um, yeah, I think that uh, the front end of WordPress has to change. And maybe that's a, uh, another path of doing it uh, as, uh, as described here. And we're all happy. That's what we need to be. We need to be happy, don't we, Vito? There we go. Yeah. So what chill. do you reckon? Just chill. Just you know? Chilled, yeah. De-escalate. De-escalate, <laughs> yes. Um, Stephen, what did you think of the story? I think it's always interesting when stacks get debated against stacks because at the end of the day, like your whatever you choose as your stack is not what drives business. Like the utility that you get from a system generally is what makes something successful. So if Jamstack can offer more utility to businesses to make more money, they'll win. If WordPress can do it, WordPress will win. Right now, Jamstack is just that. It's kind of a stack and a methodology, but it's actually not providing as much value to the end business case that WordPress is providing. And so it almost feels like an apples and oranges sort of thing. Like it's something that is built for developers, for people that are getting rolling up their sleeves and getting into the code, where WordPress is built a lot more for the person that wants to create content and it's hard for me to see a stack-based platform overtaking some sort of platform that uh, is geared 100% towards the creation of content. Now, if you would have Shopify and you would have Squarespace all adopting a Jamstack thing, like, okay, maybe we'll see the rise of Jamstack taking over all of this stuff. But what's driving it? It's the core features of the platforms. It's not Jamstack. Like the developers just chose Jamstack as the best way to deliver their end websites. But what really drives things are the value and the core features that are part of the system. Great points. Um, Sally, what do you reckon? Uh, it was just uh, striking me that this is like, um, uh, you know, saying that, um, you know, you <clears throat> Uh, you could only speak one language uh, that no other language could possibly express what you're saying. And although, you know, no translation ever captures all of the nuance and, and detail of, of meaning of, of something else 
you know, as it was written, uh, human beings managed to communicate in many languages and achieve the same kinds of things. It doesn't matter uh, what the software you use is, what the operating system you use is, what the, if it gets the job done and remains available. You know, one of the things that seems to be going on with a lot of the Jamstack supporters and indeed with, uh, you know, quote, modern, unquote, uh, web development is there's a whole lot of chasing the shiny. And so it's like, oh, you need to use, uh, you know, this build tool. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, you should replace that with this other build tool. And no, you should move to this. It's like, you know, when do you have time to get any work done? Um, and so, sure, uh, WordPress has lots of uh, issues. Uh, and the, you know, this the speed issue can be a big one. But uh, as we said, you know, that's not insurmountable. And it's only you know, the developers who are likely to be happy, you know, writing in Markdown and pushing to Git. I mean, I bought my car uh, because I, I, I was able to buy my car uh, uh, because of a client in precisely that situation where uh, somebody handed their DevOps team the marketing website to create a CMS for, and it all involved writing Markdown and and you know, committing it to GitHub. And the marketing team was like, what do we do? How do we use this? It's, it, it, you know, it was not suitable for the people who were using it. Uh, and, you know, the the interwebs are a big enough space uh, for lots of things to, to live. And it just seems like a kind of childish thing to be like, you know, well, we'll see who's still here in five years. Yeah, right. On to the next story, and it was a story that um, Stephen put on my radar as we began. Um, it's that the CEO of Animator made a public apology about a particularly bad period for Animator with a load of um, updates that didn't exactly work. So, Stephen, can you give us more details about the background to this apology and what the CEO said. Sure. Uh, the 3.0 Elementor release will live in infamy for all those uh, Elementor adopters um, and probably make everybody nervous when they launch Elementor 4.0. Um, essentially what happened is there were some pretty big shifts in how Elementor was using or their infrastructure for using templates. Um, and in this article, they talk about how it's queuing things up for the future. But in those big shifts, there was a lot of problems, problems with other develop or other uh, plugins that were developed on top of Elementor and problems with Elementor itself. Um, Elementor attributed this to like the large variation of different platforms out there. But I think everybody knows in their heart of hearts that there probably could have been more testing and that there is quite a bit of onus that falls on Elementor for pushing out a 3.0 release far before it should have ever been pushed out. Um, there's kind of rumblings that part of the reason why maybe this happened is because they got a large amount of funding over the last year. And now there's a lot of pressure from external sources on how fast they're moving their platform forward because they got to beat everybody else um, in the page builder stuff, they got Gutenberg breathing down their neck. They have uh, Wix and Squarespace also right there with them. Um, so 
One of the silver lining things behind this, though, is how fast Elementor reacted to fixing the issues. They were publishing patches about every day, it felt like, or every other day, um, fixing as many bugs as fast as possible. Um, and just seeing the dedicated response that Elementor had, I think, did a lot to um, appease the people in the community. Um, and this article essentially is just the CEO of Elementor saying, hey, Sorry, we tried to do real cool things. We kind of screwed up. We own that. Um, but also, like, you guys should be testing the stuff in staging environments before you update. So, like, maybe get your stuff together, too. So, like, we could all do a little bit better. Um, and then a promise to better QA their software. Uh, yeah, uh, it does seem like we've got about one paragraph of apology and the entire rest of the column about mm, justification. <laughs> Yeah, there was a lot of justification. And, you know, it's not unreasonable. I think when you see products like this um, go through massive user adoption and then you're thinking about where are you taking this product next um, and they also have all this money to do it, that you do have to change some large under like the hood components of that product. And whenever you do that, it is always sketchy on how that's going to play out in a live environment. And when that live environment is... 5 million different websites running who knows what on who knows what, like it's going to be, it's going to be kind of a crazy show. Um, what I was surprised is that they haven't adopted or they didn't mention this about like a rollout sort of structure. If you look at other large plugins, let's take WP rocket, for example, WP rocket, whenever they release a new version of their software, it takes about two weeks for the entire user base to get it. Like it is impossible to get the update until they slowly release it. And they'll have like this metric on their website that says 25% of our user base has the newest release. 50% of our user base has the newest release. And it's a way of mitigating these issues where you all of a sudden have millions of sites that are doing horrific things because of a product that you pushed. So, so I'm just surprised there wasn't like more talk of like actual substantial, here's how we are going to do it. It was more of like, oh, we're putting in some checks and balances. And so hopefully they do it. But like there was no actual tangible, this is what we're going to do. Those are the great points, Stephen. So, Vito, I think you know the the Alimator crew a little bit, don't you? So was you surprised that, you know, it was a bit of a cock-up, wasn't it? You know? It, yeah, like the the outrage was was massive, that's for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, but like I experienced some of these bugs myself, uh, but I, I did it right. I did it on a staging environment and I, I saw the problem. I was like, okay, I'll rebuild back. I let him work this out. And now I did the up, we did the updates this week and everything is cool. So um, what it did show is, uh, and this is something that uh, the lot of product makers uh, uh, sometimes consider when they're going into the into the WordPress uh, plugin business is who you're working with, and uh, an Elementos audience is um, a, you know a lot of us a lot of people that have been in the industry a lot a long time have shifted over to using Elemental, but also it's a lot of people that have no idea how to operate a website apart from drag and dropping inside Elemental. And uh, these guys see an update, and it's you know it's 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 spinning and it's it's uh, red, you know. So you want to click it? Why not? You know, and then you don't realize that the entire thing is just uh, crumbling That's, down. We're going to be blown up, you know. Uh, you know, in a submarine, they see a spinning button, and they, 
You just have to yeah. press it. Well, yeah, it, you know, it's just there when you press it. But then, press but uh, so he's right. He's trying to, like uh, uh, he said. He said he's sorry, and it, these things happen. And this, I agree with Stephen, especially because it was announced as 3.0. Every 3.0, you don't just jump and uh, every every point oh, you don't jump and update straight away. You, you let it. Well, it's the same with WordPress core, isn't it? Yeah, with that. Well, right, or or just the old adders. If you know, don't don't buy the uh, don't buy the car the first year that model is released. <laughs> no, uh, right. always do. We always do a bit of investigation about what they're at, the core are up to, and if it looks like some major changes, we we yeah. know. Yeah, you we know. So <laughs> we so just know we're I mean. going to get problems. So. Yeah. So what yeah. I mean is that uh, there is a, a full-on community of a few million people that are using these uh, uh, these 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 plugins, and they have no awareness of basic uh, uh, you know practices like uh, like proper practices when it comes to dealing with their own websites. Um, yeah, so I agree with him, and they I should see hire, why they should hire quality support companies, shouldn't they? I know yeah. why. Oh, well, that, uh, I mean, yes, and and you know, um, I, I would kind of like to to uh, see an announcement about you know Elementor's uh, you know vice president of quality assurance or or whatever that you know they get somebody with more experience in that. Which let's face it, most developers of WordPress plugins don't come from that kind of environment. Um, and there are many uh, well-established plugins that still seem to not do as much quality assurance as they could. Uh, and so, you know, because not it a- is it is the wild west out there. You know, now yes. now I see it from uh, from the plugin point of view, and uh, like the cases that you encounter, you know, are shocking. We had a we had a website with literally one thousand and seven plugins installed. I used a lot of I'm plugins. not kidding. I'm not kidding. Like, you, you, there's weird ass stuff out there. <laughs> so I'm telling you guys, like, uh, it's, it's the Wild West. I'm dealing you know, with a client. I'm, I'm dealing with a client that moved over to us and he's got 110 plugins. And I told him he needs therapy. I said, Yeah, I've got a. <laughs> I said, I said, I've got a therapist, plug-in therapist. For it's like Lucky Charms. You collect all the Lucky Charms, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't laugh, Stephen. I've got an even nastier client, which I might be sending your way. You're going to love this one, mate. Don't wipe the smile for your phone. Uh, before we go over to Spencer, I've got, I've got a story for you, Spencer. You love this. I've got a new client. It's another new client, and they were recommended to us, which is Gosh, lovely. I hope they don't listen to this show. <laughs> this hope <laughs> not. And uh, um, they, they complain about speed, and they got Divi installed. And I said, I said, well, that's one of the problems. And they got a security stack, which I won't mention. And I said, the security stack you got installed also turns your site into treacle. But I said, Divi... Divi, and I said, well, you know, we could we could take the theme and we could construct it in something like Alimator. Well, they must have started Googling you know, straight after my Zoom call, and then it came back, well, are you aware of all these problems that Alimator are <laughs> And they said to me, we're staying with it, Divi. And I thought, what's that? Yes, so well, that, I mean, that is the problem with this kind of thing, that, that even though 
in the broad scheme of the usefulness of Elementor, it's it's a blip. Yeah, um, um, but that, it's a you know the internet it's, it's is forever. So they keep saying we need to increase the speed of sight. I said, I'll go over to Steve and, and, and give him the 350. So they might be going over to you, Stephen, and mention my name. So you've got the joy of trying to sort out a Divi site and somehow making it quick. That wipe there's, the there's no reason a Divi can't be quick. <laughs> All right, there we go. He's got confidence. What do you reckon, Spencer? Um, I appreciate the fact that uh, Yoni was transparent as he could be, although his... I think a couple of the words he said, I would have chosen other things simply because he sort of implied that 15 updates in a certain period of time was a benefit or a feature of the product rather than indicative of the fact that, or your team could have been more careful releasing it the first time and not had had 15 updates in like five minutes. But contrary to, I think, although I'm not disagreeing with the bigger point, contrary to what was just said already, um, I think that with a major release, the proper tactic is to do what WooCommerce has done insofar as there's a specific warning that comes on the plugin screen that says, hold on, Tiger, this is a really serious big upgrade. Think twice before you do it. And as far as I remember, they didn't do that in this case. And I think that that would have gone a long way to solving the problem because even in his own mea culpa, Yoni acknowledged that they kind of just released this cavalierly and I think it's a mistake, um, with all due respect, I think it's a mistake to presume that people who are using a, this is easy for anybody to make drag and drop stuff happen <laughs> plugin are supposed to be logical enough to know what is a staging site and know, oh, anything with a zero, I'm supposed to act differently and blah, blah, blah. That's like saying people who buy gym shoes for their kids are supposed to know that you know, crepe soles can be slippery on certain gym surfaces or something. It's not the way it works. If you put a plugin out there and it's going to be a big deal, test it first in an environment like have a beta that's like, hey, this is a big beta. They didn't yeah. do a beta that I'm aware of. Second of all, even... no, there was a beta. There was a, there's always beta. There's no, a... no, I'm talking about Vito. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you're going to release a sort of half baked 3.0, put the release into the public. The public beta, not a private beta for all the insiders. Was. There, 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 there was a public beta. Like if, if you would have, like Elementor has that checkbox that looks like allow me to do beta stuff, you would have gotten the 3.0 stuff. So, but you would have had to check Fair it. Fair enough, but that you wasn't would've... transparent enough. Yeah, well, that's true. It's so true. I'm saying like if, if, you're, if you're assuming a level of knowledge for people who use Elementor is staging sites and knowing version numbers and knowing the consequences, that's just absurd. I don't think that's the world that this is used in most often. So a simple little matter like that could be a standard that I think like uh, I'm also arguing for the, the, the other side of the thing last week where you've got a file manager plugin that had a breach. I think we should have little tools in place, the core plugin setup that if a, if a plugin is breached, that it goes into red alert mode. It shuts the site down stops you from wondering. If it's a beta release and uh-oh, this thing is going to be dangerous, make sure somebody sees the warning before they get to try a .0 release. Stuff like that would go a long way to just eliminating these problems. Yeah, true. We're going to go for our break. I think it's been a good discussion so far. The panels... If, 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 if Matt spent more time doing that instead of arguing about Jamstack. Maybe yeah. we would get a little further. That's a very good point as well. Uh, um, the panel seemed to be up for it. We're <laughs> going to go for our break. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. 
Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WPTonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WPTonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WPTonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WPTonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've had a good discussion in the first half. Um, before we go on to our second half discussion, I want to mention one of our other great sponsors, and that's Groundhog. Groundhog is a native CRM. That's what I, what do I mean by that? It's a WordPress plugin, so it natively works inside your WordPress ecosystem. And Adrian and his team have uh, been working hard. Um, it's still um, developing and getting more powerful. Um, I think it's a really great product and it's something that we've been waiting for in the WordPress community for a while that can join our major plugin stack. So if that sounds interesting for yourself or for your clients, um, go over to Groundhog, have a look what they've got to offer and I'm sure you're going to buy one of their packages. And like Kinsta, tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. On to the next story, on to the next one. Uh, Gutenberg Hub launches landing page template library. What did you reckon of this one, Sally? It's a, you know, I think it's a good idea. Will this particular implementation be, you know, what takes off? Well, it's hard to say because we've got all this continuous evolution and, you know, block patterns recently went live. And then there's, okay, another thing to kind of figure out about, you know, the decision tree uh, for Gutenberg. Where do you want a pattern? Where do you want a template? Where do you want, you know, and, and oh, I was using uh, reusable blocks uh, uh, to substitute for block patterns and now I need to convert them. Um, there's a plugin for that. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's uh, helpful. I mean, I know that uh, page builders like Elementor come with various kinds of here, you know, just install this template and you get a whole design to work with. Most people are not really that good at creating designs. Uh, and many people don't enjoy it. Whereas, you know, on the other hand, you have the ones who want to tinker with every single pixel and, and you know, that's, um, uh, <coughs> you know, yeah. that's fine too. Yeah. But most people, you know, their website isn't the main focus of their business. They need one. They need it to do stuff, but um, they don't want to spend the time on the website. They want to spend the time on the business. And so, you know, all tools that will make that easier uh, are a good idea to create, uh, you know, some will prove to be better than others and some will prove to last longer than others. Yeah, I kind of, I, I'm kind of divorced because I've kind of committed my company to Alimator. Oh, God help us. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to change that decision. Um, um, but, you know, um, we, it's, you know, it's part of our stack that we install and we're committed. So I'm kind of outside this world of Gutenberg. Um, so, Vito, do you use Alimator or Beaver Builder or, or, or are you a Gutenberg fan now? 
I'm still on the sidelines with Gutenberg. I'm, I'm just waiting for it to evolve before I jump in. Like I wouldn't install a 3.0. Uh, <laughs> I feel I'm in the same position with Gutenberg still. Uh, waiting for it to cook up. No, I'm, I'm, I switched to Elementor uh, like a year ago. Uh, I've been using Beaver Builder actually before that. And even Cornerstone was uh, the one that we were using for a few years at the agency. Oh. It was, which was oh. awesome. Uh, but I, I still, oh. uh, I still, oh. I built my business on Cornerstone Extinct. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I've ever used it. But Spencer makes it sound quite way. painful, though. No, no. Oh. It was, it was, Visual it was Builder, awesome. Cornerstone, the Avada Builder, oh, all of that stuff. Oh. It's no, like the Avada files, was the folders yeah, inside yeah. of folders inside of files inside of folders inside. Of, oh my god! Yeah, in terms of that, you're right. But that was the day, the days of the you know multi-purpose themes and kind of stuff. Avada, I never got in touch with this. But anyway, to the point here is that. Uh, uh, well, yes. Well, Avada is still out there, and and so are many similar types of things. Yes, we see them. We see them in the wild. Um, Having but, nice conflicts with your plugins. Um, not anymore. We had to fix a few notes. <laughs> um, but uh, but like back to this point, I think that uh, uh, this kind of concept of using templates is something that we didn't do. Uh, but uh, because I like the process of designing, exactly like you're saying, uh, for other businesses that they don't have that skill or they don't have that passion, um, I would actually recommend this than to try and build something from scratch even for for uh, professionals uh, or let's say like um you know professionals that are starting off you know it's a great way of learning something because you're looking at something that was already created but if you start tinkering with that you already have a structure and uh, and something to uh, take inspiration from so i definitely encourage any types of uh, use usage of these things as long as you're you know if you're poor use it for inspiration and to learn but in, in if you're, uh, if you're not, then just use it and don't touch it. Even better. <laughs> mm. So what do you reckon, Uncle Spencer? Well, I kind of feel dedicated to the fact that Gutenberg, no matter what happens with it, is really just going to be the default editor. And I don't really think of it as ever being a, a page builder. And mm. the, part, the part that I am really committing myself on that now is that I find myself always asking, like, why don't they just get the editor part figured out first? Get the formatting. I'm talking. You know, to like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're so right because every time, I don't know if you got, if you post stuff regularly in LinkedIn, but I really like LinkedIn's editor. Uh, um, and I, and it's I, super simple and straight to the point. You know, you don't mess around. With no, it does anything yeah. you would want want to do with it is I just think to myself why couldn't Gutenberg just be that you know and like it could have got well I mean it is interesting to see where Gutenberg (laughs) has evolved from that uh, original sort of we want it to be like the editor in medium which lets you do like you know three things Mm -hmm. and that's it and uh, whereas you know this became something different I like it a lot and I think it's fine when all you want to do is write text because it gives you the next paragraph when you hit return and and you know, so it's not it's mm. not burdensome for doing what you used to use the editor for. Mm. But um, it has changed in its focus, and I'm sure it's because of that. You know, we want to be like Wix and Squarespace thing that that you know, wanting to work like Medium or like LinkedIn, where 
the design is locked in to fit with the design of the broader site, um, but it looks nice and it's and it's readable. Uh, you know that that not, wasn't where the threat was coming from. Yeah, but that's the problem. The, the problem is it, yeah. if you look at sorry, but if you look at something, if you've used Advanced Custom Fields Pro, and for those who haven't used this, All ACF. The time. ACF is a fundamental tool for anybody who wants to have a custom post type and allow the client or your own site to separate design on the front end from function of your content on the back because it allows you to create literally like a Mad Lib form, which again, maybe dating myself, but a form field entry system that only asks you for the thing you need to put in in a very specific organized the way you want it way, which makes it incredibly efficient. Now, if we go back to what Gutenberg was supposed to be and what it is now, the problem I keep having is they destroyed the really easy to understand modular separated with space way that the classic editor works in favor of something that initially could have been much like ACF, a very, here's blocks of content that you can add stuff into and it's easy to see. But instead, it's all mushed together, kind of like our other story, visually hides all kinds of stuff that should be right out in the open. and it's really let itself be known to the public that they're just trying to emulate page builders more. Throwing the baby out with the bathwater about improving the editor experience to the point where, quite frankly, I always install the, me and 5 million other people, always install the classic editor yeah, plugin so that I don't have to deal with Gutenberg. If they would just go back to its roots, it's an editor that has more ACF-like capabilities to organize your entry of data and then stop chasing this page builder thing, I think they would have some chance. But I've lost all confidence, 100%, that the team of people has any aspirations to get their shit together and figure out what it wants to be and get it done. Because now we're, what, two years into this, yeah. and I yeah. still can't use the interface. So, That's, uh, yeah. So, oh, Stephen looks totally bored there. I uh, <laughs> Shall we go on to high-frequency hosting? Because that's when you got really animated yesterday. We did a fantastic show, listeners and viewers, on our Thursday interview, but we did an internal show with my new host, which is Stephen. And you got, you got very passionate about high-frequency hosting, didn't you, Stephen? I am passionate about demystifying the server world and the lies that people try to put out there. Lies. Um, no, but uh, I don't know. I mean... I just don't have much more to add to the conversation mm. than has been said in previous episodes and today again. Mm. That like Gutenberg has some interesting things. It's a young product. It's not super mature, and it's being built inside a core of WordPress. So things happen slower than like what Elementor is doing or what any of these other page builders are doing. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see where it lands. I feel like at some point in time there'll be a point where I switch everything back from Elementor to Gutenberg. Like that—that's what I would. That's my preference. But like, I think that's a ways out. I think there has to be a lot that has to happen between now and then. And it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Right. On to the the next one. Um, False simplicity in UI design. Simple is not always better. I thought this was an excellent article. And I'm going to ask Vito first to comment on it. I'm just going to put this to you, Vito. Because it kind of... um, it mimics some of the things I, I think UI and UX design, especially in plugin, is really going to become very, very important in a more highly competitive plugin market. Um, but 
people tend to think making a thing um, not simple, but reducing interface um, elements actually make make something more simple to use. Where, where they highlighted the um, Hamburg um, navigation, where, which I agree with the writer of this article. I hate when they do that on the desktop. Uh, use I, I just I, and I and you go to the design forums and they're singing the praises of doing that. And I think I think it's a terrible idea. What did you think of the article, Vito? So I totally agree. Like I, uh, this article was basically pointing out the fact that we're we're intentionally trying to hide things uh, just to favor minimalism over functionality or over user experience. Uh, and uh, and this is so true that, uh, that it was just funny to scroll through this article and see the different examples of how we're all doing the same mistakes of uh, uh, of doing this thing. But not only not only us, but even goes up to uh, to Google here and, uh, you know, to Apple and all of that, guys, on YouTube, uh, which is such a good point. And um, we, are, we are doing the same mistakes as well sometimes, um, you know, because you want to create something, from my point of view, it's because you're trying to create not false minimalism, but something that has this slick feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and you uh, you and it's true that I am following uh, market trends so that my product seems like it's um, it's in tune with what the big companies are doing. Are doing. Uh, you don't want it to look completely like uh, weird if uh, Google and uh, Apple are doing that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, I do fall into into some of these uh, into that, some of these mistakes. Um, just uh, just to make sure that the UI looks nice and clean instead of actually showing what is needed. Yeah, I think. I don't know. I don't actually know how you get to good UX design, but I I know when you when you're using something that's really got it, you really know you it's really polished. But um, minimalism doesn't lead to good UX design. What do you reckon, right. Sally? Well, you know, there's that fa- famous saying about simplicity on the other side of complexity. If you have something very simple. Uh, minimal design is natural for it, but we're often dealing with things that are quite complex. And as um, uh, uh, Tom Snark, I mean, Kenny, uh, points out uh, that, you know, people are making things less usable because it's trendy. And I think that, that it's partly losing sight of the real purpose of design, which is not to impress other designers with your cleverness, but to create something that has a purpose. Because, uh, you know, if, if you if you aren't taking function into consideration, it is not design, it is decoration. Uh, and so, you know, we see a lot of this. People post all their, like, you know, theoretical this is and that's on their, uh, uh, you know... Um, Behance and and uh, dribble uh, things, you know. Oh, I had these design ideas. Yeah, I don't have a working website like this. I've never like seen anyone try to do anything with it. But you know, isn't this pretty? 
And, uh, you know, uh, one of the ways you get to understanding UX is to, like, have actual people use your stuff and find out what happens. Um, And that kind of user testing is something that it seems like, you know, most clients don't want to take time for or spend money on. Uh, uh, it's like, it's yeah, the world of small... Right. Guys. I mean, there's a, there's an article, uh, was a recent study done by Nielsen on navigation patterns for complex navigation, for mobile navigation, for, you know, how, how is it that people usually, you know, go through or, or get to menus and... Uh, yeah, if you if you can't see it, you may well overlook it, and especially if there's, you know, no reason to oversimplify it. I have, you know, I've heard clients say, "Oh yeah, I just want that." You know, uh, somebody uh, mentioned a client calling it the stack of pancakes menu. Um, uh, 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 you know, because I want th- I, I want that look. Yeah, but do you want people to actually use your website or not? I, I mean, you know, would you like them to get past the home page? <laughs> Mm. Also, another interesting thing that was shown here was the click-through for um, for navigation on mobile, uh, which exactly kind of uh, uh, points out the, the opposite of what we're doing, actually. Uh, it's saying here that 86% of uh, sessions... Um, on mobile are, uh, are you know are using the navigation buttons compared to 57% only on desktop uh, so it's uh, it's crazy that it's like that i i kind of took issue with this article i didn't oh. like it it made me it made me frustrated <laughs> because his whole title is false simplicity in ui design i think his whole article is falsely simple in trying to say his point because <clears throat> what he, the whole premise is that if people click on something, that's obviously the route they're supposed to go. There are many times where I don't want people to click away from pages in very specific ways. I want sure. to control the narrative, but I do need to allow escape routes for those that are looking for escape routes. Take landing pages, for example. Landing pages will oftentimes remove the entire top nav because yeah. they are trying to get the user to do a very specific thing. Home pages often are trying to craft a story and a narrative. And if somebody hops from page to page to page on your top nav, so a lot of times I think there can be an argument that it's more beneficial to craft the narrative of your product and lead the person down your sales funnel the way they're supposed to get down will lead to higher conversions at the end of the day than just looking at, oh, how many people are clicking my nav? Of course, a hidden nav is going to be clicked less than a visible nav. And maybe that's the intended result. Um, Also, people trying to do things that are annoying to send certain signals, I think is something that we see for all over the place. Like coffee shops, for instance. There are some very like trendy, cool coffee shops that have the most uncomfortable seats in the world and the most like (laughs) unuser-friendly line queuing system. But their point is, is that they're saying, we are putting out this vibe that we are bleeding edge on the trend. And if they put these normal like soft seating couches type stuff, that would make their whole store like pointless because that's not what they're trying to do. That's not what they're trying to be. And so saying that I want a slick design and I want to have something that looks modern is maybe because I'm trying to sell websites to people who want slick modern websites and having that hamburger nav puts that signal out there. And I don't want them to get to my other pages necessarily more than I want them to get the cue that 
I do this kind of style of website. And so saying that that is bad UX just because of some 20% click-through rate is way too simplistic. Like there are many reasons why somebody could want to do that and why it's beneficial for their business case or their use cases to have their users interact with their site in that way. Well, maybe, except you're number one, you're assuming that everybody who's going to that website is going there for the first time. They don't know your story. They don't have any other purpose in being there except to start at the beginning of the narrative. And it's like, yo, I am, do not want to be in Ikea where I have to walk through the entire store to do anything. Uh, this, you know, it's irritating and prioritizing the the needs or the desires of the uh, person creating the site over the needs of the people who are using it um, it doesn't seem like a good idea. Now, there's usually some way to to, uh, appeal to to both of them. And, um, you know, it might be that you put uncomfortable seats in your coffee shop because uh, you want people to move through quickly. You don't want them to like park themselves there uh, uh, all day because you know more customer turnover is going to get you, uh, you know, is going to get you more money to to pay the overpriced uh, rent in District of Trendy. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you know, I, I'm actually old enough to remember when it was the soft couches in the coffee shop that that were like the new and trendy thing. Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, doing a thing because it's trendy, if you haven't got anything else going for you, is not going to last you very long. Yeah. What do you reckon, Spencer? I mean, this is just an extended example of old versus new, where um, I wish Steve Jobs was still around with skeuomorphism because that was the best example of something super trendy but was functional. Uh, A book was like the the library and the the cd thing was like your music so in other words it was minimalistic but it actually worked for everybody because my my mom could even figure it out today the idea of having to know secret swipes and have to scroll to the bottom of a page is is just completely inexcusable because the level of frustration that generates for a large majority of users especially those that aren't hip to the cool insider thing is it worth it? And uh, especially when you've got large face, large scale mobile devices and very large screens. I mean, my God, my 43 inch desktop thing, even with larger font has acres of room. So like you suggested, having a hamburger menu as the default instead of just laying all the, the words out there seems ridiculous. But this, this battle will never go away because it's the hipsters of, of uh, today versus the old fogies of yesterday. It just keeps moving forward. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, Stephen has a good point about kind of taking some things out of context yeah. and, and not necessarily knowing what the purpose was and whether there was a reason beyond, uh, you know, uh, this is hip, trendy, and we like the way it looks. Um, but uh, it is, uh, you know... Bad, bad you have- design is when you don't have quantifiable reasons for doing something. But if you have a quantifiable reason for doing what you're doing, then like who's argue and it's and it's going in the direction that you are intending it to go. Like just calling that bad UX design, I think, is making the whole idea of UX a very simplistic idea. Yeah. Right, Eo, thanks, panel. Let's go on to our recommendations of the week. And panel, please put them into chat. Um, it really helps me out. I'm going to start off with um, a company called Big Mailer. 
Um, I've been looking at an email provider um, that I can use with my clients as well. And Big Mailer uses the power of Amazon Web Services email system, but gives you a modern interface where you can also set up sub-accounts, monitor them, give the sub-account its own login details. Um, it makes the whole process of using Amazon Web Services email system a lot easier. I've been testing it out. I've been really impressed with the company. And um, go over and have a look. And the prices are amazing um, compared to the competition. Um, um, it's really impressive what they're doing. So, Spencer, have you got anything you want to recommend to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Uh, next week, you'll be seeing me wearing my Microclimate Air helmet. So if you go to microclimate.com and you're in for a laugh, click that link. I'm not sure if this is real or not real, but I'm willing to put up 200 bucks to find out just for the, the, the hilarity of seeing what shows up in the mail. Go check it out. It's a new way to get around today's current uh, concerns over wearing a mask. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll be intrigued. I'm going to have to. Um, Stephen, got anything you want to recommend? Is it high-frequency service you're recommending? I'm, I'm just very excited to see this microclimate thing. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> right? Let's yeah, all get like, it and show up next week. Man, if I was a kid and had that, I would have been like, so like I was an astronaut for days. Oh, yeah. That's so the cool. only choice uh, is, is wearing the, the the dark or the white the light colored one, but you know for fashion, man, now, which man, matches. Now I want, I know I want to buy one. I don't know why. <laughs> there is something about it that just <laughs> right? like, calls to you. I uh, just it, there's no and there's no social review on it, so it's like everybody's asking, "Is this legit?" What's it? and there's nobody talking about it. Uh, a really interesting article. So, so did you architect- see that advertised on Instagram, Spencer? I don't know where I found it originally, it but when I like saw the picture, Instagram I think it was ad. an ad on the side of my Facebook. But when I saw it, didn't you? Didn't it make you like go, <laughs> I got to get that. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, my recommendation is an article from Architect Daily. It's this guy that created a prefab home office for 5K. It's kind of like a little plywood structure that you can set up in your backyard or garden. Um, just as we're all working from home, something kind of cool that I ran across. All right, there we go. Vito, anything you want to recommend to listeners and viewers? Yes, so I'm going to recommend uh, a plugin by the Beaver Builder team. I, I think I think it might have been here before, but but uh, uh, it just kind of resonated with what we were talking about, the interface and how it, sh- it could be. Uh, and they kind of created their own take in terms of how to edit content and how to manage the content within a WordPress website on the front end completely. Um, so um, I saw it when it first got out, and I had a look at it again uh, this week, and uh, it, it didn't evolve much, but it did evolve to something that is already very interesting. Uh, so have a, have a go look at a plugin called Assistant, Everyday Productivity Apps. All right. Um, Sally, got anything you want to recommend? Uh, uh, yes, I, I forget like where I even saw this. It might have been on Twitter, um, since I don't Facebook. Um, uh, it's an article on the uh, Zapier uh, blog called "The Art of Deprioritization," uh, and uh, it's basically um, if you are feeling overwhelmed and they're not getting anything done because you're trying to get too much stuff done. Uh, the idea is is to you know look at your to do list and say okay what is actually not that important that I can t- 
take away from, you know, from worrying about today so that I can focus. Uh, it's getting started. You know, I, I have some ridiculously long lists and I don't ever get everything done. But if I, if I can just get started, I normally can, um, and, and I haven't got clients bothering me all the time. Sorry. Those pesky uh, clients. Yeah, um, I can normally hammer away, but it's getting started. That's my problem, getting started. Um, thank you, panel. Um, I just want to tell you about a free webinar me and the young um, agent of CEO Groundhog are doing on the 6th um, of October. That's Tuesday, the 6th of October. And we're going to be doing a webinar about how to introduce marketing automation if you've got a learning management or course-based website and how marketing automation could increase your profitability. It's introductions also to marketing automation in general. You're going to be really fascinated, blown away by the knowledge of Adrian. Um, we did it we did one last month. Um, this month's going to be better. Um, we had a good response to the last webinar. We covered a load of stuff. And also you'll be able to ask Adrian questions about marketing automation. So it will be a feast of knowledge. So like I say, join us on the 6th of October at 9am Pacific Standard Time. How do you join? Well, it's very simple. You go to the WP Tonic website and right in the top navigation on the right side, no hamburger menu here, folks. Uh, um, there will be a button that says free webinar. You click it, sign up, and you'll be able to join us on the 6th of October. Please do. Um, having as many of the um, WP Tonic Tribe really helps the show, and please join us. So, panel, thank you for your time. Uh, it's a great um, roundtable. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.